You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. I'm like a week behind on TV, or maybe two. Are you going to use the I was on a tropical island excuse all the time now? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. That's my... Amazing I was match. in a tropical paradise. It was so hard. Yeah. I had to like go swimming in the beach and oh, put on a sunscreen. Oh, and, and there's these beautiful flowers everywhere and sunshine. Yeah. yeah. I should be taking pictures of my, my portrait mode on my camera. Welcome to Spotcast. This is episode 45. My name is Tim Mitchell. I am back in Toronto and I'm joined once again by Jonathan Kuline. Aloha. Who's back in Mississauga. And of course we have Jaime Lopez Jr. back in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? All righty. All right. So uh, let's dig into the fact check. So last week we had a little solo episode and, and uh, you know, I, I felt very lonely talking to myself in my room by myself, all by myself on the tropical island, as Jonathan mentioned. Oh, you're lying. Come on. You enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah. I had to sneak away to do it. Yeah. Get rid of our us, us dead weight. Me and Jaime, we've been dragging you down. That's true. That's true. It was a very efficient <laughs> episode. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Um, and I actually, we had so much time I got to do it twice because I messed it up the first time. Anyway, so uh, Jonathan, do we have any fact check? We do have a little fact check. So uh, don't take this personally because you can okay, do your solo act, but here we go. Uh, so 220 in, uh, we were asking about, you weren't sure when Star Trek Discovery uh, takes place. So I looked it up. Star Trek Discovery Season 2 takes place in the years 2258 and 2259, making it the 23rd century. Was it Discovery I was talking about? I guess it was, right? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Uh, 
855, you were talking about Swamp Thing, the Swamp Thing TV show and Swamp Thing movies. So Swamp Thing, uh, you mentioned that it, uh, the original movie starred Adrian Barbeau. So I just uh, got some extra details here. You weren't quite sure of the time frame. So Swamp Thing was 1982, written and directed by Wes Craven, of course, famous Nightmare on Elm Street creator, uh, starring Louis Jardin and Adrian Barbeau. Uh, the sequel came out seven years later, 89, Return of the Swamp Thing, and that starred Heather Locklear. Hmm. I don't think I ever saw either one of those two movies. Yeah, they're good. They're actually underratedly oh, yeah? good. I mean, hmm. campy, very campy, but, but you know, not in a, not, not a terrible 80s. way. Yeah. You can't put Louis Jordan in anything and not have it be campy. Right. Uh, nine minutes in, you were talking about Game of Thrones, uh, episode two of season eight, and uh, you were mentioning that Jamie, at the beginning of the episode, uh, shows up in Winterfell, and he's being questioned by a panel, and uh, I think you just had the wrong name. So you mentioned that it was Danny, John, and Cersei. It was actually Danny, John, and Sansa. Yeah. yeah that Cersei, was Sansa, it's the same thing. Uh, 1008, um, Jamie did not get sent to Winterfell by Cersei. He was spurning her to join the forces at Winterfell. So that was, they had a falling out that did, did that. Uh, yeah, he left of his own accord. Uh, 1338, uh, Ed, Beric, and Tormund arrived from Last Hearth. That's where they had the uh, burning child in episode two. Um, not the last keep, or episode oh. one, I guess it was the end of episode one. It was the name of the castle that uh, they went to was actually Last Hearth. Not yeah, last Ed keep. and Beric, I can never remember their names. I don't know why, but I guess it won't really matter in a couple of weeks, right? Well, yeah. Uh, and 1434, the one-eyed guy is Beric Dondarrion. So, uh, yeah, that was, uh, now you have the reminder. One-eye, Beric Dondarrion. Yeah, didn't I, so in the first take, I I said the one-eyed guy, one-eyed can't kill me guy. He just yep. keeps coming back like the cat, right? It's an accurate uh, description of Beric Dondarrion. Now, who's well, the guy that up was bringing until him back? This week. Who's the guy that was bringing him back? Though somebody was bringing him back. Like it oh, was like Th- a- Thoris of Mir. Okay, and where did he go? He's he died dispatched. in uh, season six. Spoilers out there. He died in season six. Um, he got mauled by the giant zombie polar bear when they went on the mission, impossible mission, to go find a white and bring it back to so to show Cersei. Right, right. So when we get to the when we get to the recap about um, the Game of Thrones, Latin, the episode we're talking about this week but can we recap some of this like I sort of saw, like, you know, come a couple of comments, like, you know, what, what um, Arya says when she's talking to, um, what's his name? The Mountain, not the Mountain. The Hound? The Hound and, and this Beric the Darien guy, but not wanting to... And then she, of course, spends, like, most of the episode with them. Can we talk about those kind of foreshadowing bits uh, that... Uh, yeah, I, I got your back. Caught on? Okay, all right, cool. And that's Alrighty. it for our fact check. All right, some sad news. Some sad news. So in our headlines, uh, this we just got this news tonight, and it's very sad. Uh, Peter Mayhew, who played Chewbacca in uh, a bunch of the Star Wars movies, uh, has passed away. He's dead at age 74. Um, obviously, Mr. Mayhew's been in uh, poor and declining health over the last few years. He's had difficulty walking. Obviously, he's a very, very tall person. Um, so he's had some difficulties. Uh, and, but yeah, 74 is uh, still till, still too soon and, and very sad. Um, he leaves behind a heck of a legacy and, and a character that's going to live on for uh, generations afterwards. So uh, we, we thank him for his amazing work. And it, it may, people may not know this, but we have a new Chewbacca actor who mm-hmm. was sort of, I guess, a stand-in or whatever. But so Peter Mayhew did actually play part of che- parts of Chewbacca in Force Awakens, but I don't yep. think he was in um, Last Jedi at all. No, he wasn't. Uh, I, I can't recall the gentleman's name. He's um, he's yeah, Finnish. He's Finnish who uh, who took his place. But um, yeah, it's um, yeah, it's it's a sad day. Again, we've, mm-hmm. we've obviously over the last uh, several years. Oh, oh uh, Eunice, Eunice Swato, Swato, Swatomo, Swatomo. 
is the guy's name. Um, yeah, we've obviously been losing, you know, characters from this film franchise for a little while. We lost Carrie Fisher a couple of years ago and, um, you know, Katie Baker is gone. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's inevitable that, uh, you know, these, this, you know, these movies are 40 years old now, so it happens. But, uh, but yeah, it's awfully, it's awfully sad every time we lose one of these, uh, these giants. And this man, in, in his case, genuine giant, he was seven foot, uh, three inches tall. So, yeah. All right. Cool. Well, the next piece here I have is that uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, um, Space uh, TV or Space.ca had a quick article on why this will remind us why Brad Pitt's a star, question mark, I put there, my question mark myself. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm a big Brad Pitt fan and, and not so much a uh, Leonardo fan, but, you know, we'll see. It's, and, of course, looking forward to this Quentin Tarantino vehicle. Yeah, and they announced, uh, I think it was yesterday there or today, they announced it's going to be uh, making its debut at Cannes at the film festival. So Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, yeah, big deal for them. So that's mm-hmm. good. So we'll get some reviews of that sooner than later. And next up? Uh, yeah, this was another one of those uh, <clears throat> moments in in our that with I think we will uh, Jaime will definitely have something to say about this one. <laughs> so we added uh, a WTF section to more than just code. Maybe we need one here too. Yeah, yeah. So uh, the full trailer for the Sonic the Hedgehog movie uh, dropped this week. Um, we really encourage you to look at it, and um, you know you may need to not be drinking when you watch it because you'll be doing spit takes. It is a very perplexing thing. It is it is truly truly weird. Uh, Sonic from from the weird shape of Sonic's body to his weird teeth, uh, the internet has been a little merciless. Um, and uh, yeah, it is it is a truly WTF kind of thing to look at. Um, and I think that leads into what you have here, Tim. Yeah, this just came out today. The the um, due to the backlash from the fans, apparently they're going back to the drawing board with Sonic and maybe redoing him. Oh, they're going to re-render him. I think so. Yeah, yeah. They're they're uh, yeah. It was gonna it was coming up pretty quick, but they just said that uh, Jeff Fowler said he's going to be uh, going to be redesigning uh, Sonic as because of people's outrage. This is in a tweet that he put out yesterday, I guess. Hmm. Yeah, May second. Yeah. Hi, make I got to know your take on this. Yeah, I I just don't understand. Like when I saw it, I mean, of course, you know, words cannot describe. So we'll have this link <laughs> and many others in the show notes for those of you transporting at home to see because it, words cannot describe. And this is an audio only medium but at first when i saw it i thought why do they keep ending up having this problem where they say oh you know what it'll be like if we took sonic the hedgehog in the live action alvin and chipmunks movie and shoved it into a blender uh, <laughs> maybe with a little bit of the smurfs live action movie too because <laughs> not enough blue right and I thought, okay, why? Look, there's already better options. Like the people who did Wreck-It Ralph, uh, I think both editions of Wreck-It Ralph mm-hmm. have uh, Sonic the Hedgehog in there, and it's a dead-on, spot-on model. It's like, take yep. that, just make a whole movie of that. You're done. It's super easy to do, right? But subsequently, I started seeing things on the internet that said, oh, actually, there was some sort of um, cross-promotion with Nike. And if you make a cross-promotion with Nike, then you say, well, maybe we'll have more realistic shoes so it looks like the actual shoe you can buy on the shelves. And then if you have that, you say, well, now this doesn't really fit in with the cartoony look. How are we going to deal with that? It's like, okay. And then so on and so forth. It's like these tiny little paper cuts, like these individual little decisions that don't seem completely baffling and stupid in and of themselves combine Voltron style into one gigantic mess of stupidity. Like <laughs> This could have been a completely original character and it would be probably taking a little better than people had in mind. The fact that it is such an iconic character and it's a very, very simple design to deal with. And they can completely blew it. Like, I feel really bad because I'm sure there was a lot of uh, artists who worked really hard on this, a lot of people who worked really hard. It's not their fault. I think it's more the fault of the executives who decided, oh, no, it, it's got to be this way because of this shoe branding deal. Um, or, oh, it's got to be live action because normal people won't know if they won't understand. Like, 
people watch The Incredibles, people watch Toy Story, people are totally fine watching a completely CGI movie that looks like a cartoon. Just just go with that. Just make it easy. It's what we want. Yeah, it really did smack of that uh, that Alvin and the Chipmunks franchise. I was thinking more Cat in the Hat. Or, or the Smurfs. Or, mm, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's just one of those things where you're like, why have you done this? What was the what was the thought process behind? Like, it looks beyond the look of Sonic. The movie looks quite awful. Uh, from Jim Carrey's mustache, literally mustache twirling, to you know the the supporting characters that we see in the trailer, it it just looks it looks dreadful. Uh, even if they nailed the look of Sonic, it would still look like a pretty dreadful movie. So I I can't wrap my head around it. I know. All right, millions of dollars went into this movie, folks, and millions more apparently will go into it if they're actually like scared enough that they're going to re-render the character. Yeah, I mean, the best part of the movie is, is the very beginning where they have the, I think, is, the, is it Universal or, or 20th century, where they have the oh, circle? Paramount, of, Paramount with the... Paramount, mountain. the circle of, circle of rings. That 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 joke right away worked, and then the rest was all all downhill from there. Yeah, there's a lot well, of I'll, I'll, I'll give them the final trailer joke where the where Sonic is inside the gym bag. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was, that, that was yeah, funny. Yeah, that, that sequence was unexpected. All right, yeah. got that one. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. It's because you didn't have to look at the animated Sonic in that bit. Yeah, he was completely true. covered. It completely, completely changed covered. Yeah, the, the whole tenor of thing. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. Our next item. Uh, so the creators behind the uh, Academy Award winning uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, uh, Phil Lord and uh, uh, Chris Miller, have just signed a new very, very uh, uh, wealthy deal with uh, 20th Century Fox. Uh, to do all of their Marvel animated properties going forward for the next five years. Um, this is good news because, uh, again, I don't know if you guys have had a chance to watch that yet, but it was excellent. And uh, Sony has the animation rights to, of course, all the Spider-Man and all the Spider-Man villains. So that's Spider-Man, Venom, Morbius, Black Cat, Silver Sable, uh, you know, this sort of whole Spider-Verse that they can dip into. And, of course, now they've got these ex- expanded characters they could get into based on the popularity of this movie. So these two guys are going to have free reign to uh, to take their talents. And uh, these are also the guys behind uh, the Lego movie and uh, uh, who got fired famously from Solo. Um, th- so they're going to have an opportunity to uh, to put their stamp on the uh, on the cartoon side of uh, of the Marvel Universe in this way. And it's, it's pretty good news because these guys are really talented. Yeah, I, I did watch that. I did watch half of the movie on the plane this morning or last night. I can't remember which one it was because it was like a weird red eye kind of flight. But uh, so did you say these guys were the guys that got fired from Solo? Yeah, yeah, they oh, were going to be the co-directors of, of Solo, and they're the ones who lost their jobs and were replaced by Ron Howard. Weird. And that was, okay. again, it was that famous story we talked about uh, in a previous episode where they lost that job, and, this, and, and their, you know, great uh, revenge was that they got to stand there a few months later holding Oscars in their hands for Best Animated right. Picture, right. while Solo was the lowest grossing Star Wars movie ever. Right, right. So. Hmm, cool. Uh, we've also got some news from uh, more more from the uh, Marvel universe here, so mm-hmm. Disney Plus uh, is the uh, the thing on the tip of everyone's tongues. They're getting all these great shows, but uh, we got news this week that Hulu is going to get a couple of new Marvel shows as well, um, which kind of verifies our, our theory that the maybe the more mature side of the Marvel universe will end up on Hulu, while the uh, more family friendly PG stuff will end up on Disney Plus. So Hulu is going to get two new shows. They're going to get a 
show uh, based on Marvel's Ghost Rider, uh, and it is the version apparently that was the one on Agents of Shield, uh, played by Gabriel Luna. And they're also going to get one uh, a series based on Hellstrom, which is uh, the Son of Satan series, uh, classic 1970s series. Also saw some uh, rejuvenation at the hands of uh, writer Warren Ellis later in the uh, I think it was 90s. Um, and you know, an interesting story to tell there. So yeah, it's uh, it's interesting to see uh, that they're doing that split. They're doing the sort of you know PG on one side and maybe the, the edgier stuff uh, headed towards the Hulu side. Oh, mm-hmm. You guys going to tune in for those ones? I don't know. Don't think so. I didn't, I didn't, I, maybe it's a uh, Nicolas Cage bad taste in my mouth Ghost Rider <laughs> thing. But you know. yeah, it's uh, a cool character in the comics. Whether you're talking about the uh, the Johnny Blaze one from like the 70s ish 80s or mm-hmm. the um, newer one from like the 90s. I forget his name. Danny Ketchum or Ketchum. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it can be a cool character. And I actually thought the uh, that arc with him in um, in that season of uh, Agents of Shield was pretty good. The effects were really good. The the sort of pathos of the character was pretty good. So I think I would definitely give it a try. I'm I'm not sure what to expect from Hellstrom, but uh, but it is an interesting character too. Again, the idea is that he's sort of a uh, you know Lord of the de- uh, son of the devil, and you know, but not necessarily a bad person. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they pull that off. Cool. Uh, speaking of Disney Plus, uh, rumor this week or rumor I suppose um, that there is interest in bringing the long, long, long rumored sequel to the classic Lucasfilm uh, movie Willow to Disney Plus as a series. Um, personally, I'm a huge fan. I loved Willow. Uh, has a very, uh, a very good spot in my heart. Um, so there was a um, a episode of uh, an MTV show or podcast um, where uh, Ron Howard, who was the director of Willow and of course director of Solo, uh, was being asked about where, what the status of this was, and he said, you know, there are some really serious discussions going on. Um, you know, I do think that you know Disney Plus would be a great way to go. Um, and you know, George, meaning George Lucas, and I talked about it, and uh, yeah, it could be really cool. So it sounds like there's something sort of percolating there. Uh, so and obviously, um, uh, it's been happening uh, or rumored for a long time that this is something that you know a lot of the participants, Work Davis um, and uh, and George Lucas and and Ron Howard have had interest, interest in going back into this world. Um, it's a 1988 film, so it's been quite a while since we've seen anything from them. 31 years, but uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I I think that's an excellent platform for that. I'd, I'd rather they did that. Um, of course, George Lucas and uh, comic writer Chris Claremont famously did a series, a trilogy of novels uh, set in that world after Willow, which were quite good. Um, so maybe they would dip into those as well. So that could be really interesting. That the Shadow Moon books. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping. Yeah, I haven't really thought about that for for decades. I do remember not realizing for some time that Mad Mardigan was Val Kilmer. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> I saw him when I was like such a little kid, and then uh, long after Val Kilmer was uh, was Batman. I said, "Wait a minute, is this the same dude?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, he actually he met his uh, his uh, former wife on that set too. The uh, the woman wow. who plays the Queen's daughter, uh, Joanne Whaley. They got married after that movie. So who'd have thunk it? There you go. A uh, little more news: uh, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them Part Three uh, is coming in twenty twenty. 
2021s. We got news this week that uh, they've set a date. So they're going to start filming uh, next year, and the movie is slated to come out in 2021. So they are taking their sweet time. We knew this was going to be a five-movie series, or that's what they've always said. Um, but if they're pacing them out like this, it's going to take a long time to tell a five-part story. Uh, you know, it, I, I, I assume the story is going to take place over a period of time, but uh, yeah, we're, we're really spreading them out at this point. So interesting uh, that it's going to be there. I mean, it sounds like they're doing them every three years, which, you know, we think about what we had with Lord of the Rings, where they filmed them sort of concurrently and released them year after year, or even some of the Harry Potter movies, where it was pretty much every other year for a stretch there. Um, yeah, to go every three years, yeah, that's that's a 15-year trilogy. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Cool. All right. Uh, second one yet, though. Oh, and you haven't seen it yet? No. It's okay. It's okay. I, I saw it. I, I challenge you to tell me the specific set of crimes that Grindelwald commits, with the exception <laughs> of one, like, really early in the movie. Yeah. He, he does commit a couple of crimes, but a lot of it is, like, magic crimes. Oh, yes. Um, and, and last thing I have here is uh, we got uh, our, our first full wave of guests for Fan Expo Canada 2019. So I thought I'd flag this because I'm a big comic uh, fan. So uh, we already knew that Jim Lee was going to be our sort of headline guest. Uh, but there's a real Batman feel to this first uh, mm. sort of big wave of guests. We've got Greg Capullo, who famously, of course, drew uh, Batman uh, since the New 52, uh, a very amazing artist. Uh, David Finch, Canadian uh, Batman artist, drew, drew Detective Comics for a long time. Tim Sale, who, of course, did The Long Halloween, a really excellent book. Peter Tomasi is going to be there. Jason Fabok. Um, and then uh, Marguerite Bennett as well, who's doing Batwoman. So there's a real Batman feel to this sort of first wave of guests. Um, we also get a couple of, uh, of you know, a comic uh, royalty in here. Gail Simone, who um, I've had the chance to interview before, who's wonderful and very, very talented writer. Um, and the one that I'm most looking forward to is Stan Sakai. Stan Sakai drew uh, a, a Yusagi Jimbo, uh, which is a very famous independent comic. It's been around for, oh, geez, 40 plus years now, 40 years now. Um, and uh, he's one of my favorites. So I'm really, really like excited to get the opportunity to uh, meet him in the flesh. So, yeah, really cool. Really cool to get a good lineup to start. And, uh, and I know, of course, uh, that they're not done. There's going to be more to come. So Of course, there's Ian Flynn who did Sonic the Hedgehog. That's true. That's true. Ian did the uh, Sonic Hedgehog uh, um, comic book. And um, Aaliyah Baker is coming for that as well. She also worked on the Sonic book. Yeah. Well, I'm just sort of pointing it out based on our earlier discussion. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I mean, to, to round it out, Adam Bryce Thomas also has the Sonic the Hedgehog uh, That's right. yeah, credits yeah. there as well, way down at the bottom of the list. Yep. It's a Sonic summer. I'm waiting for Apple News to open because I can't remember why I put this article in here. Oh, the New Yorker. Mm-hmm. So the article that was in Apple News about uh, from the New Yorker about the narrative experiment that is the Marvel Cinematic Universe, just talking about the whole uh, going from Iron Man back in 20, 2008 to today's or this week's uh, last week's two weeks ago uh, Endgame premiere. Hard to believe it was only last week. Yeah, was it only last week? Yeah, it literally came out a week ago. Yeah, yeah. So and, anyway, a, just and a billion dollars ago. Sorry. Yeah, <clears throat> that's no ninety billion dollars though. <laughs> but uh, you know, a new expression on the show. But yeah, it's an interesting article here, but just about all the, the whole sort of cinematic universe and how they built it and so on and so forth. Cool. All right. So I have a read through that if you can. I'll get, I'll get a better link than the Apple News one because I don't think everybody's into Apple News just yet. Alrighty. So I guess we've reached the mean part of the show. We're going to do two things today. We're going to talk about uh, Endgame and we're going to talk about uh, The Long Night from Game of Thrones, which is sort of a pivotal episode for a lot of different reasons. But uh, so do we want to, how do we want to approach Endgame? Are we doing it like 
I'll, I'll, I'll uh, I, I feel like the whole thing is one giant spoiler. So we're, I think we're going to have to approach this one from, unless you want to do the five minute, what you thought of it without talking about it in actual context, yeah. and then we can do a deeper yeah. one. But it's, uh, I think there's a lot to unpack from the actual thing. And I, I think we'd be doing our fans a disservice if we didn't actually get into the meat of it. So Sure. Well, so, yeah, so, let me let me just start with a question, first of all, because cause I did have a little 10 minute nap in the middle of the movie because um, it was late in the day and, and yeah, I'd just been traveling, whatever, and I went by myself. So, and of course, you know, I can't complain about a movie that has timey-wimey stuff in it because I've always said that I like movies with timey-wimey stuff. doesn't matter what they are. So I can't really complain about the solution to the end game here. But I do have a question. So there was a section there in the middle where the, the team jumps into the past and in various, they all go in different directions, I guess. Mm-hmm. But they were talking to Tilda Swinson, who plays, and I can't remember the name of her character, who was the the mentor for um dr strange dr strange and she yep. mentioned i think she mentioned or some somehow somebody mentions that you know the fact that you're talking to me means that you know this is the same timeline or something so what was the so the, i, I kind of missed sort of the some of the theme of that part of the the movie maybe you can fill me in i don't know if we'll put this in the show but so uh yeah so the hulk bruce banner is smart hulk uh goes to retrieve the time stone which is uh he thinks is at the Sanctum Sanctorum, which is the the home of the the Sorcerer Supreme in New York. Uh, He goes looking for Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange, of course, isn't the Sorcerer Supreme in in that period in time. Yeah, because he hadn't been discovered yet or whatever, yeah. He he hadn't had his accident and he hadn't become uh, become the the Sorcerer Supreme. It was still the Ancient One, which is the name of that character. Uh, So she, sorry, they, non-personal pronoun, she's they, (laughs) they uh, tell her, uh, Bruce that uh, they can't give the stone to him because uh, that would change the timeline. So she explains uh, how time divergence works. If you take it from here and then you go into your future and you make a change, then you're diverging the timeline because I would have given you the stone here. You would have created a new branch. So you're actually changing my timeline. So therefore I can't do that. And then he says, well, what if I take the stone from you here in this exact moment, but then I return to you in this exact moment and hand the stone back to you and then you can continue your uh adventures from there and she says uh, sorry they say that um that is appropriate and therefore you wouldn't create a new branch however you're right and then this is going to be a, a theme as we get into this uh discussion there is no way that uh the ancient one wouldn't have because she is informed of the knowledge of the future uh by the actions of what's happened he has affected the timeline there unless you take for granted the fact that he was always meant to be there at that time to take the stone to the future use it and bring it back and that was always the flow of time so it is temporal mechanics and it is it is a lovely head scratcher i've got a a small laundry list of complaints as far as divergences in time that they did in this film um that's not my biggest one but it is absolutely a valid one unless again you assume that uh it had always been the way of things that bruce always came back there and always did that and therefore that was always part of the timeline that he went always went back he it wasn't a change in the timeline that he went back that he you take for granted that he was always intended to go back take the stone do the do the changes 
use the gauntlet, bring it back, and time was to continue from there. Um, but it also presumes that behind the scenes of every Marvel movie, there has been these undercurrents of change that were always intended to be there. So you have to take that as a granted. So as long so, as you're okay with suspending disbelief on that, you can press forward with the way the movie plays out. Yeah, so, and I don't know if I've linked it back in here, but there was uh, there was uh, an article I saw the other day about, so two things. One, the article I saw the other day about the fact that they're streaming, or you can go watch all of the movies somewhere on, in the theaters, like 58 hours or something like that. Yeah, they did that before the release of the uh, okay. uh, of the Avengers Endgame. They did a, so a marathon. So I wonder if those undercurrents are really already there kind of thing, you know? I don't know if anybody sort of talked about that. I, I can't, I don't know. I mean, I think to a certain extent, there was a planning and there was a strategy. Um, but I think all of it, you know, it would be it would be amazing, amazing film storytelling if that was always the intent. I think in the same way that uh, J.K. Rowling writes, where she she plants a lot of seeds in her writing that she either uses or doesn't use as she wants um, so that she has narrative links to go backwards to. Um, it, it is something that people who write sequential stories do. It happens in comic books all the time. You you can either deliberately drop seeds along the way in case you need to use them, or if you're an amazing writer, you can map things out for years to come, presuming that you will be able to continue telling your story. Um, I don't I, know I in, it, in this case whether they are. I think Hollywood being Hollywood, what it is, I think I think there's too much machinations from the producers that that I don't know if that's really possible unless unless it's something, unless you're writing something that, that's already like existed in a comic book form, like you said, right? Like like I've never bought the argument that that George Lucas planned. I mean, he may have planned on. I think his original script was long enough to do three movies, but I don't believe he ever planned on doing nine movies, right? As he, as he claims now, right? Because um, I think I think you know watching Star Wars, uh, which is now called A New Hope. Um, was such a fluke like in terms of like its its success that 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 sort of led him to have the ability to go through and make the next two movies right but yeah. you know the fact that that oh i planned it all along i don't buy that for a minute you know yeah well but, in this circumstance you can really lean on the fact that you have 21 previous right. films so right. you can mine those like gold right you right. can go back and you can again depending on the availability of the fellow actors and, and other circumstances you can go back and really especially if you're doing time travel and you know different dimensions and, and all these different things that they're including in here, you can really go back and do a lot of stuff, which is really cool. Um, so I think that's what they did. Is that I think they basically got a bunch of really good writers and very creative people together and broke down like, hey, we could do this, we could do this, we could do this, and they did. And it's great. Right, and just like in Star Star Trek Discovery, which we talked about, is I think when Culburn, I've forgotten the name of the actor's um, name, but... Anthony Rapp. Anthony, yeah. He admitted that he was not... He was signed on for one season or whatever, and it wasn't until the writers went into the writer room. Oh, sorry, Culber. I'm thinking of uh, Stamets. Sorry, that Stamets. was my bad. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Sorry, he, he. We talked about this a couple, like sometime last year or the beginning of the season or whatever end of the season where he was in an interview and he sort of said, "Oh, well, surprisingly, they've they've asked me to come back and do stuff." So, so that's the case where the writers went. You know, we can take this character and this relationship a little bit further if we bring him back and blah 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 blah. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I sort of mean by like you know, um, I don't think they planned to have him, you know, or that actor, because, I mean, obviously they want to have the same guy. Yeah. I don't think they planned on having him come back. But anyway, let's 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 um, let's um take it from the top in terms of where we are with Endgame. Um, All right. Well, I'm going to throw in my one uh, live sure. update by saying Wilson Cruz was that gentleman's name. Wilson sorry Cruz. for sorry okay. about that, Wilson. You're, we are big fans. Right. <laughs> All right. So from the top, so are we going to do uh, the spoiler-free version first? 
we'll just talk about our impressions without uh, getting into the meat of it. I think I think we're I think that show we've we've this whole season has been like screw it if you if you're listening to the show. <laughs> yeah. Again, it's been a week. By the time this goes live, it'll be two weekends worth. Right. If you if you saw that with this is what we're going to talk about, you either listen or you don't. Right. Okay. I may thoughts. Yeah, I think it's interesting because the movie. Uh, so one, I like the movie. So let me just start out with that. So I like the right. movie. I think I like it less than Avengers Infinity War, and mm. I think we'll talk about really hmm. some of the issues. I think it's still a really good movie, and I think it's ultimately a very satisfying ending to a long sequence of films that have been building up to this. Mm. Um, I do like the fact that it uh, it takes your expectations, flips them upside down, turns them inside out, and then gives them one last quarter twist, <laughs> which uh, which is all really good. Um, it is a bit packed because of everything that it needs to do in a three-hour time frame. I do think even with three hours, they could have carved out maybe or, or chopped off five to ten minutes. And we'll, we'll talk more about that, I'm sure, when it, when it comes to main characters. But otherwise, ends up having a pretty satisfying uh, sort of arc ending for the main Avengers cast. So I definitely appreciated that, right? It sets the stage pretty nicely for uh, MCU Phase 4, where additional new things will happen. Maybe they'll do things like Secret Wars and other big team-up type things. But they've, they've brought an end to the Thanos-based uh, whole backstory. And speaking of the five to ten minutes of stuff they could have cut, did you guys know there was going to be no trailer thing at the end of the trailers or end of the credits? Yes. Yeah, I, I looked that stuff up to see if I need to stick around or not. Really? Oh, okay. I, just, I was assuming I, you'd stick around. I blur my eyes just to make sure I don't see what it is. <laughs> oh. So I just searched for you know, Avengers Endgame end credits. And, and then the first result was, it doesn't really have an end credits scene, but it has some end credits stuff. And so I was like, alright, oh, really? tell me okay, what it is. Have to fill me in on that because I missed that, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So, Jonathan, yeah. what do you think? Uh, yeah, I enjoyed it, too. I think uh, as far as fan service goes, especially for the sort of um, non-hardcore comic fan, as far as the fan of these films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the fan service level is extremely high. I think uh, if you went into this, obviously there are some um, some sad moments and some moments that will, uh, you know, have very long-lasting ramifications for where the next wave of, of uh, or phase of Marvel movies go. Um, but I think, you know, there is so many moments where you're like, whoa, I can't believe I'm seeing this on the screen. Whoa, I can't believe I'm seeing this on the screen. Oh, there's that character and that character. And they, they do, uh, they do the fan service really, really well. It's really compelling stuff. And, and, uh, I can't say I didn't enjoy the heck out of it. Um, I agree with Jaime. I don't think it was the best of the movies. I think, um, there was certainly it, it, the fan service sometimes came at the expense of clarity and. And, um, and, you know, in the same way that uh, there was a subversion of expectations in um, Infinity War that I think a lot of people sort of were surprised by. Obviously, um, I wasn't because I have been a comic reader forever. Um, I think in this way... The way that it played out was not predictable, but that it played out the way it did was predictable. So I think that was a little bit of um, um, my only sort of small, um, you know, again, it's not even a complaint. It's just an observation. Uh, So I think uh, as far as the culmination of this sort of chunk of it, um, it's it's also strange. I mean, as we talked about, there there was no no end credit piece, so there was no tease for the next thing. Um, So where they go from here and how 
how they choose to move forward and whether there's a cohesiveness or a separation of Marvel movies going forward, whether there is, you know, another 20 movie arc or whether this is all piece by piece or maybe they'll do smaller arcs where they'll they'll lump, you know, 10 or 15 movies together and then do something. Uh, How they go forward from here is a really interesting discussion, especially as we start, uh, you know, getting into our spoilerific talk about this um, with the outcomes for some of these characters. Well, as a non-comic book guy on the show, um, because, I mean, you know, I used to read Casper and Superman and Spider-Man and the Archie comic that I found, you know, my sister's left lying around. As you know, I've never really been a big, you know, serial story. I mean, I love serial stories. Don't get me wrong. I love, love you know, like the Dickens and Asimov and Heinlein kind of ways of doing things, but I've never really been a subscriber to comic book, um, you know, graphic novel kind of approach, right? Um, So as as an outside observer, I guess, um, I really enjoyed the the whole arc um, of all the different stories and the way they wrap them up. I'm a little a little concerned about like, you know when when we have you know characters that end up not being able to make another movie because of professional or personal decisions or whatever or they were written that way. Um, I'm concerned like like can we lay it on the table like characters like Black Widow like they're not going to be able to go beyond this this particular story unless they play with timelines or whatever. Or Scarlett Johansson right. Um, um, I know she's planning. They're planning on making a prequel movies, I believe, right? Well, I guess that that's part of our discussion we can have. Yeah, and 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 also, you know, Gwyneth Paltrow also mentioned that you know before the movie came out that she was not going to be doing any more pot. Uh, what's her name? Pepper Potts. Pepper Potts uh, character portrayals. Mm-hmm. Which I mean, I don't know. The smarter of us in the group could uh, smarter of us in the room, I should say, probably figured out where that was going. Um, you know, that was an interesting, interesting sort of development. Um, well, I think there was a there was an undertone going into this, um, and it was the final final. Somebody somebody called it Endga- or uh, Avengers final in their in their tweet. That was kind of a before I saw the movie, I saw that as a tweet, kind of as a spoiler. You know, yeah, I, I think there was an undertone from a lot of the actors. They were they were all very close to the vest, obviously, as you would for something like this. But there was an undertone of uh, finality to this for a lot of the more established uh, stars for multiple reasons i think everyone's aware of some of the contract issues that some of the actors have had um as far as the fact they're getting paid rather titanic amounts of money um so if they wanted to sign them to a multi-picture deal to do this many more uh you know that it's not necessarily cost effective for a studio to pay 30 million dollars a person if they want to do these big you know 25 star filled films um i think when we look back at this movie in you know 10 20 30 years it will stand as one of the single greatest, most impressive feats in movie making. And I don't mean that because of its spectacle, and I don't mean that because of its scope. I mean that in the fact that uh, they made some of these stars. They made Chris Evans a star. They made, uh, um, what's his name, Thor Hemsworth, a star. Um, You know, they had some established stars. Robert Downey Jr., although he was kind of a waning star when they brought him in to be Iron Man again. like Mickey Rourke in that sense, yeah. Um, you know, they made these people into something huge and they are huge, but that allowed them to have a cost effectiveness to them so that they, you know, they certainly got paid very well, particularly Robert Downey Jr. Apparently, because he took up, uh, he took points on anything that Iron Man was in. So he made hundreds of millions of dollars making these movies. Um, but that allowed Marvel to tell the story and have these characters and use them the right way and bring them all together for these last couple of movies in a way that is, I don't think, I think it's unprecedented. I, I've never seen a movie that was honestly 
basically my my takeaway as I was walking out was like, I will never see a movie that has this many top of their game A list Hollywood stars in one film. I think ever again. I just can't imagine. Like unless they make it, which they certainly could. They made this happen. They could make this happen again, but it'll take them another ten years of starting out with smaller named actors and stars and building them up and making them into stars or the next wave of things and then bringing those people all together. It, it's really it's astonishing when you when you see those credits roll and you're just like the credits roll for a full minute before they get down to like supplementary cast. You're just like I cannot believe how many stars a list stars there are in one picture. True, true. But do you think so? Do you think that there's somebody at Marvel like in in you know deep in the bowels of Marvel who you know when they inked the, the first Iron Man kind of sort of said you know this is where this can go do you think do you think that, that has there been one person like a, i don't know if it's like a, you know a, a, the lady who's behind um all the star wars stuff kennedy i believe right Ka- yeah kathy kennedy yeah uh, is, yeah, there, it's is there somebody like that at marvel that that has that sort of like has been there through the whole ride kind of thing yeah it's kevin feige kevin feige kevin has feige, been okay. the the producer and the sort of uh you know visionary behind this whole thing and he's worked with some exceptionally talented filmmakers you know producers directors um you know, cinematographers and everything through the line, as well as actors, to bring this vision to life. He has been the the through line for this whole thing. Um, because that's how you get you get buy in from people like Benedict Cumberbatch, who who doesn't need this movie at this point. You know, or even at the point that he does Doctor Strange. I mean, you know, he's got the Sherlock stuff going. He's got you know, just about. And he's got his whole Cumberbatch bunnies. I forget what they call them, Cumber bunnies, or what do they call the the, the fans of him? Uh, anyway, you guys have no idea what I'm C- talking about. C- Cumberbatch. No. Cumber babes, huh? (laughs) If they aren't, they should be. There's a name for them. He mentioned it on Graham Norton on an interview. I'll find it. But uh, but yeah, the fact that that you know, like someone like him doesn't need this role. I mean, Gwyneth Paltrow, admittedly, I don't know where she is in her career, but she didn't debut to play this. Um, uh, What's her name from Thor? Um, Queen Amidala. Natalie Natalie Portman Portman. doesn't sort of seem to fit in this this kind of role. I always found it odd that she would play that she would play in Thor as well. And she was in this movie for like 30 seconds. She was not actually in this movie, to be fair. Oh, I thought, I could have sworn I saw her face somewhere. She was, uh, they used repurposed footage from Thor The Dark World. She did not film anything new, although apparently she did do uh, some voiceover work so that you can hear her voice. She got a credit, She got a credit because she actually came in, the footage they used was from Thor Dark World, but some of the voice work where you hear her voice in the hallway and stuff like that, she re-recorded new lines for this film. I, I looked that up because I was very curious because she had sort of said previously, I'm out um, and didn't want to go back and do it. But apparently right. they convinced her to come back and do that voiceover work for which I'm sure right. they paid her a couple of shekels. I think uh, it's amazing that they had Rene Russo come back and reprise her role too. Excellent. You know? Yeah, beautiful. And, and, I mean, and especially yeah. the way she, she kind of like sees right through this Thor saying, All right, so this is Thor. where we're getting into the yeah. spoiler okay. part of the show, folks. All right. Okay. <laughs> We may have crossed that bridge a few minutes back. Well, so go we're, two we're, minutes back. You know what? We're trying to talk about this movie in such a way that, that I, I don't know if we're doing this on purpose, but we're t- we're not giving away the major plot points, but we're giving away some, like in this particular case, the Rene Russo comes back. Okay. Uh, yeah. Um, well, I mean, we already talked about timey-wimey, so there's a, well, okay, there's well, the element there of, of, for of they're going into timey-wimey, and that's going to lead to con- to crossovers. Okay, so, so, so here's here, let's talk about this particular point. I love the part where Paul Rudd says, wait. You mean Back to the Future is BS? Yeah, it is. It absolutely is. 
We, you and I have joked about that for years, that somewhere totally. in an alternate universe, Marty's girlfriend is on a porch and is about to yeah. be shot by the people that own that house, because that's not his house. Right, or right. Her house. Her house. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, like, he created a new timeline. It's the second that he interferes with his parents' first meeting, he creates a new timeline. Everything that happens from there forward didn't previously happen. That's not how it happened, because he remembers a different future. So he's changed yeah. the timeline. So the timeline that he's from, he's actually Marty from a different timeline, and that's how he knows about a different future future it, it's inexplicable temporal mechanics that's all that you can explain that as it's not that marty lived that way it's that theoretically he replaced the marty from that timeline how that worked out i'm not sure somewhere there's an, a marty floating in infinite loops of space i don't know yeah, but yeah, yeah. well yeah. and there's also the fact that benedict cumberbatch in the first movie says i only see one possible timeline where this works yeah right and so we're we're meant to believe that this the end by the time we get to end of end game that's the one timeline Yes. But then, again, we'll get into Spoilerville because the temporal mechanics of this do not hold up under scrutiny. You have to sure. you have to suspend disbelief watching this movie because how time works and how the conclusion of this movie plays out are not lined up. There's just no right. way. There's just no way. So all right. any other thoughts, Jaime, before we get into Spoilerville? No, no. I think I've said all I can say with... Oh, well, you know what? I take it back. Uh, the one thing I can say that's non-spoilery is uh, a little bit of flavor as to why I kind of prefer Infinity War, and that's because I think uh, Thanos is a bit more well-rounded in Infinity War. Mm-hmm. And he's still reasonably well-rounded. He's not, you know, complete mustache-twirling villain, but he's a flatter, more two-dimensional character as compared to Infinity War. So let's take that for a second. Is his solution to what he does in Infinity War wrong? Because he he, he thinks he's solving a problem in that there's too many people and, and too much overpopulation and not enough food to go around, and that's why he's splitting the universe in two. Yeah, he or, says the the universe is out of balance, and the right. only way to correct the balance is to is to basically split the universe in half, half go, half stay. It's a radical solution to a to a realistic problem. Right? Is he is right? It, Are we talking about like an ethical debate here? Yeah, yeah. That's my question to you. Is 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 that? I mean, look, it's, it comes back to something I mentioned before that I saw an interview with Alex. Baldwin and they were he was on inside the actor studio and I've forgotten the name of the James forgotten his name the host of the show asks him like how do you feel playing these bad guys like you know how do you but the bad guy in in you know um, Glenn Gary again Ross or, or all the other or the doctor who you know the the I forget the doc, the movie he played early in his role where he plays a doctor who makes an, an a decision and and gets sued kept malpractice or something like that um, and he said that when you play a character who is the bad guy or on the bad side of the story, you have to believe that, that you are 100% right in what yeah, you're doing. absolutely. Right. So that comes back to like, okay, so it was, I mean, it, we're all we're all trained to hate Thanos, right? But is Thanos wrong in what he does? No, I think he fits in. And, and I think, again, it's a, it's a real testament to the acting of James Brolin and the writers who created it. Um, how about Josh Brolin? What's that? But how about Josh Brolin, the son? What did I say? James. Oh, Josh. Yes, Josh. The, not, the, the son. not that he's not a bad actor. J- right? James is a fine actor, but Josh, yes, you're right. Uh, so, yeah, it's. Uh, I think it's a testament to all of their hard work that there is a lot of, um, you know, I don't know, a lot of depth to that character. I think Jaime's right. I think he is a he is a very vivid, well realized character in Infinity War. Um, up until then, he was a little bit mustache twirly, just sort of popped in and went wahaha, and and then didn't really have any kind of depth to him. But I think they gave him a a lot of that in that uh in that movie 
Um, as to whether he is right, I, I don't think it matters. I think that he thinks he's right. Um, and, and I think as far as motivations go, it's a pure motivation. You know, we see it play out in the, the flashback scene in Infinity War where uh, you see the scene where he adopts Gamora, where basically he has his forces basically split people and says, you choose one side of the street or the other. And he doesn't tell them why. And then as he's showing her this, this you know, knife trick, uh, his group basically pick one side of the street and they kill them all. And, you know, it's his way of basically saying, you know, like, it, to me, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, you know, who lives and who dies, including himself, I think, in that way. Um, it, he, I don't think he, he cares that it's costing, you know, uh, that there's a moral issue behind it. For him, it's not about that. It's about, you know, the, this needs to be done. And, and I'm the only one who has the, uh, you know, ability to put my feelings aside and just do it. So it's a, it's a good motivation for a villain because, again, Again, you're right. He he just thinks he's right, and that needs to be done. And he knows that it's costing him. Again, you see in that scene where in Infinity War, where he has to uh, kill Gamora, he does it, and he's clearly regretful. But he considers that the price of doing business, and it's a price he's willing to pay. Um, and and we see that at the beginning of this movie. And and uh, again, a little, little spoiler if you haven't seen it. But um, when we first encounter Thanos post snap, again he he isn't necessarily happy with all the decisions he made, but he knows that he had to do that in his mind he was doing the right thing and he's willing to live with that so right right so and before so i, I just want to say one thing about about the whole going on the first night i've talked to a lot of people about who some people get the, the reason why you go on the first night some people you know a lot of people don't get why why would i go with the matting crowds and why would i you know try and get the last seat because i i literally got the last seat in the theater because i was waiting to i, I ended up going at nine o'clock instead of seven o'clock you know, and of course I was in, the, you know, in Hawaii time, which went even further back in terms of like how awake I would be. Um, I ended up getting the last seat in the, in the theater, um, and but it was on the first night of, it was the Friday, right? So it was a, the premiere night. And um, the reason why I like to go on the first night is because you're there with people who genuinely care about this particular um set of movies, right? Mm -hmm. And, of course, there's a scene, I'm not going to give it away, but there's a scene where Captain America has this feat of strength, mm -hmm. let's say, right? Mm -hmm. And one guy in the theater just went, yes, as loud as he could, and just started clapping is because he totally, because he, I, I, I don't know if he read it in the comic book or whatever, but but he was totally behind the decision that, that Captain America would have this unique skill that, you know, mm -hmm. to solve a problem, yep. right? Um, we may not talk about it, I don't know, but... But, but you know what I mean? Like, that that's what I mean. The enthusiasm. And he, like, lit up the whole theater when he said that. It was, like, maybe, I think it was probably 100 people in the room. It wasn't a huge place. But but everybody got it. Everybody got into the sort of the, the enthusiasm of that person. That's why I go on first nights, right? Yeah. No, I, I agree with you. I, I, I vividly recall when you and I went to go see uh, Phantom Menace. Again, Phantom Menace, whether you have quibbles with it or not, it was the first new Star Wars movie since in 1983. Years, yeah. And... It was a big effing deal that they were putting this into the theaters. And we went to the very first screening uh, at a theater downtown. And it was packed full of people wearing costumes and people who were just thrilled to be there on the first show, to watch the first one. And that was back before they started doing, you know, 7 o'clock on a Thursday shows. You literally had to wait till 12.01 right. to go see it uh, because they couldn't show it until Friday. So they had to wait till 12 o'clock at night. So 12 o'clock at night is a packed theater full with Star Wars fans. 
And when that crawl started and everybody just started clapping and was so joyful and everybody was so thrilled. And then, you know, again, all these little moments, the first time those lightsabers crackle on, R2-D2 makes his first appearance. The crowd went bananas. And it was a real thrill. It was a really, it, again, it made a movie that, again, is not the greatest picture ever put to film, but it made for an event. It felt like you were at, at a real a real moment and you were sharing it with these hundreds of people who cared about this thing as much as you did. Yeah, for me, it was the exact same room that I originally saw Star Wars in 1977. It's one of my least favorite theaters in Toronto. Yeah, it's not a great theater. <laughs> for a number of reasons, but, you know, but it was actually the same room that I saw. Song Remains the Same, Tommy, and and uh, and Star Wars. Hmm. Yeah. All right, so. All right, let's, let's get into spoiler vote because I want Jaime's I want Jaime's unfiltered take. Sure. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're into Spoilerville. We're going to be here for a while. Uh, you know, maybe we'll put it into our show notes where you can dip in and dip out. But I, I think it's going to be a probably a good twenty minutes. We're going to talk about well, this. Well, before we get into the, the whole timeliness of it, um, we also want to cover you know long night, and we want to wrap up around ten thirty, maybe ten forty-five. Whoa, that's going to be tough to get I all know, this in. I, I did say it was going to be tough. All right, with yeah. haste, with haste, Jaime. What do you think? Yeah, I think we can do it. All right. Who's going first? Well, maybe we throw out some of the in as best chronological order as we can to start throwing out things that, that surprised you. I will start first. The first thing that surprised me is Thanos is dead in the first 10 minutes of the movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? Well, that the, solution is, the solution is what everybody's thinking. Down. Why don't you just take your hammer and smash him across the head? Yeah, that, the biggest surprise for me was the five years later. Oh, that, really? That was the first one where I, I, you know, I had been able to discern from watching the trailers and just thinking it through that there was going to be a conflict with Thanos. I didn't predict it, just exactly what Jaime was saying. I didn't predict it was going to be that early into the, the movie. But that they came out of that scene, which was so, you know, they confronted him, they killed him, and it was this big moment. And it was like, wow, where do you go from here? And then it cuts to darkness, and then it cuts to five years later. That was one of those, like, oh, man. Like, I did not imagine that that's where they were going next. Yeah, right? that was that was pretty crazy. Yeah, that one really that one really caught me off guard. Again, some of this stuff was, you know, it was just, it was good storytelling, and I think it was really well executed. Um, the fact that they basically, so, you know, they, they start off by killing Thanos. They confront confront Thanos. They or they save Tony Stark. They confront Thanos. They uh, kill him, and then they cut to five years later. And then we pick up our heroes from there with what they've been doing for the last five years. So but then we one by one we sort of bring them all together. Um, you know, Scott Lang appears out of the out of the quantum zone, um, and then the story sort of picks up with oh maybe there's a way to undo this, and it just sort of picks up with you know okay we're gonna get into some timey wimey stuff. We're gonna we're going to you know basically get the gang back together so we see the you know uh, hulk has become smart clint barton has become a psychopath uh thor's become a uh, big lebowski um you know uh natasha has thrown herself into her work steve is trying to help the common folk uh we, we sort of get everybody and then they all bring it back together to try and figure out a way to to do this and then we get into basically what like an hour of timey-wimey stuff where they travel through mm -hmm. time trying to get the stones build their own infinity gauntlet so they can undo the snap, bring everybody back and go from there. And then, of course, uh, that becomes confounded by the fact that um, that they end up in the past running afoul of Thanos and his folks again, which then then this starts to become a murky mess. And this is where I start, you know, seeing threads that I want to not pull, but I can't stop my brain from doing it. Sure. Where if Thanos from the past comes into the future and then dies, then Thanos from the past couldn't have possibly committed what had happened. 
end. So then you've actually split the timelines. There's two timelines there. And then Captain America goes into the past and then he changes the past, but then he comes into the future, which actually wouldn't be the same future because he would have changed the past. And he ended up making out with his niece at one point, which what? is really gross. <laughs> uh, so, okay. So that Captain America would have, would have gotten frozen in ice in 1945, revived in the 2000s, joined the Avengers, fought with them, gone back in time, sorry, lived out the events of Winter Soldier, which involved him, uh, and uh, um, Civil War, which involved him making out with Sharon Carter, who is the niece of uh, Peggy Carter, and then goes back through this adventure, lives through it, gets in a time machine, goes back into the past, and lives happily ever after with Peggy up until the year 2023, which is where this last movie ends, at which point he's an old man, which means he lived that whole stretch full of time from whenever he went back and met with Peggy, ended up with her, and lived happily ever after, enjoying Sunday dinners with his niece, thinking, I made out with her. Ew. Yeah! (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we're watching, like, Star Wars on this show as well, so that's kind of par for the course. (laughs) I guess. And and watching Game Game of Thrones, Thrones, there's a lot of, there's a lot of incest happening on our popular culture, I gotta say, (laughs) but at least he's not blood-related to this one, because, you know, we'll get into Game of Thrones in a little bit, but... What do you think about the uh, the streets of San Francisco Michael Michael Douglas? I thought that was was pretty successful. That was awesome. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, But but then the guy playing um, um, uh, Tony Stark's dad, I I don't know if that was successful. Yeah, I mean, he had had played him in previous movies, too. It's John Slattery, who was, of course, in in Mad Men. Um, Yeah, he had played him in uh, in Civil War and in previous incarnations as well. So, um, you know, it is what it is. Um, But yeah, no, I mean, again, there there was so much fan service. There was so many moments. Again, that moment when, uh, you know, the Thanos comes from the past into the future, brings his whole forces, they, they blow up the Avengers headquarters, they are taking on, they take out all the Avengers, and it's basically Captain America standing there in that beautiful, beautiful spectacle of its cap versus the entire of Thanos' army. And then you hear Falcon's voice, and he says, hey, Cap, on your left. The place, the theater that Xavier and I saw this in went crazy. People were clapping and cheering and so excited and as each one of those groups of heroes suddenly reappeared and you see everybody's back to life and it's you know the Wakandans and it's the Guardians and it's Captain Captain Marvel shows up and I get all these moments and yeah people were just going ballistic they were so happy and that's the fan service right people were just like yeah there's that scene where that character meets that character and that character comes back and they do this and people were thrilled thrilled Will there be a movie where they they go around explaining how they convinced all those people to jump through these time portals and come to the future and solve this problem? No, completely unnecessary. <laughs> completely unnecessary. All right. So what about the scene where and I'm sure that I don't know if the I don't know if the Twitterverse has like exploded on this yet because like I said I've been avoiding the Twitterverse, but the scene where Gamora shows up and and uh, Denai from you know uh, Black Panther oh. shows up and all yep. the and and Brie Larson and you know, they do the whole uh, A Force, the Avengers, the that, women that, of Avengers. Is that what that was? Okay, I wasn't sure about that. Yeah. That, yes. That, that yeah. So they, this okay. is very, again, very fan service moment where all of the women of the Marvel Universe basically have a scene where they're like, you know, how are we going to get from here to there? 
there and they're like, we got your back. And it's all these incredible female actors and incredible, uh, you know, characters are all like, it was a little heavy handed, to be frank. It was a little, it was a little, you know, mm-hmm. okay. You know, like, I don't think it was necessary. It, the, 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 the undertone was like, we're here. You don't need any men. Like it was, it was just a little over served, but it was still kind of a kick to be like, yeah, they have actually got a lot of good characters, um, you know, assembled in one place. And it is cool to see them all together, even in, you know, in that really over the top kind of way. Right. Right. My other favorite moment beyond the, uh, beyond the five years later and beyond the, on your left, the, um, the, the scene in the elevator with Captain America, where he's trying to get the staff, Loki's staff, and they're in the past and they're riding in the elevator and it looks exactly like the elevator scene from mm-hmm. Winter Soldier. He climbs in there and he goes in and it's all those guys who attacked him in the elevator and you're gonna thinking like, this is going to play out just like that scene and that was such an amazing scene and he's like, Hail Hydra! That was so good. That was such a great yeah. bait and <laughs> switch. That was such a great bait and switch where they're all just like, what? And they, they hand him the staff and off he goes, genius. 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 Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. No, you have a favorite moment. I think I would go to one of the ones like, um, you know, I was definitely at a, a theater where people cheered when uh, Captain America proved himself to be worthy enough to call Mjolnir. Yeah. Right. People definitely cheered like, yeah, that part. Right. And that, that one calls back way, way back to, um, I mean, you can go as far back as the first Thor movie where it's made very clear that you have to be worthy to have it. But also the fact that Captain America was like almost worthy in Age of Ultron. Right. He was able mm-hmm. to slightly move meal near when nobody else could even touch it um, at that point in the movie yeah yeah and of course the 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 culmination of it that we've been sort of beaten around a little bit is the of course uh there are casualties there are permanent seeming casualties now again i will reiterate nothing in comic books is permanent however uh robert downey jr clearly there was some you know issues with him continuing in this role one he may not want to do it anymore two he allegedly got paid 75 million dollars to make this movie um Uh, That's a little prohibitive going forward. Again, because he took points on the movies. Uh, Yeah. So the expectation is that he's going to get, yeah, 75 million-ish for this movie. Uh, Hemsworth and Evans apparently got like 20 to 30 million bucks a pop. Scarlett Johansson was in that ballpark too. You can't keep making these movies. So uh, Iron Man dies by doing the unsnap that basically uh, kills all the, or he does the the third snap, right? Hulk does the the second snap. The the Thanos does the first one in, in Infinity War. The second one is Hulk snapping to bring everybody back, except for a oh, couple is that of notables. What that was? Okay, okay. So he did the snap that basically undid everybody who died, but didn't take them back five years because he wanted because Iron Man was adamant that his daughter had to live. Um, but then the third snap was Tony Stark doing the snap that basically killed all of Thanos's Thanos and all of his forces. Right, right. Um, but at the cost of his own life. So, so uh, at the end of this picture, uh, we've lost um, the. Uh, Black Widow, so Natasha dies, dies, uh-huh. dies, really dies. Uh, Gamora really did die in Infinity War. However, a different timeline version of Gamora now exists in this timeline, uh-huh. but she has no memory of being a member of the Guardians of the Galaxy or being in a relationship with Quill or any of that. So will um, she be in another Galaxy movie? Yeah, I would imagine that the third movie will be the quest for Gamora. Oh, okay. um, it'll, it'll be uh, the, the, what is it, New Asgardians of the Galaxy uh, with Thor and... Um, and the quest for for getting Gamora back on the team? I don't know. Uh, Although, again, let's talk about temporal paradoxes. So at one point, um, Nebula Q 
kills herself. <laughs> That's true. She, she shoots herself dead. Uh, she shoots herself from the past, dead in the future. So it's the year 2023, and 2014's version of Nebula comes in there, and the only way to stop her is to blast a hole right through her chest. So I'm not sure how you worked that one out. Hmm. Well, this is this the is this the quantum theory where there are multiple universes and we're now in another universe? Well, every decision that gets made through this process branches. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, we talked about the Captain America one. The only explanation, so I had put in a link in our in our show notes here uh, where um, Entertainment Weekly sat down with the Russo brothers who were the directors of the movie and they were trying to explain what happened with Captain America um, when he makes that decision. So basically as we, as we sort of, you know, play it out uh, Iron Man's dead, they have a funeral captain america has to take the stones and put them back in the exact places that they have been taken from so that it it still plays out the way that it needs to he also takes mjolnir back because mjolnir has to go back to thor in the events of dark world so that it can be used and continue forward and eventually be destroyed by hella um and so cap goes into the past he ends up doing that and they're waiting for him to immediately reappear and he doesn't and then it turns up he's an old man he's sitting on the park bench down just down by the lake and he basically says I, you know, I decided to get myself a life. I met a girl. I stayed. Um, and he passes on his mantle of Captain America to Falcon. So who's, he's the new Captain America. So, yeah, uh, the question I have for you, is that a, is that something that happens in the comic books? or um, Not in that way, but but um, Sam is Captain America or okay. has, has been Captain America on a couple of occasions um, in the comic books. So there is precedence for Sam being Captain America. There was also precedence for... Um, for the Winter Soldier, for for James Barnes being the the Captain America too, so it was interesting. I I wasn't sure where they were going to go with that. If they were going to going to have it play out that one of them was going to get it, or one was and one wasn't, or if there's going to be a like a who gets to claim the the title kind of deal. Um, but it it's pretty clear from the way that they're doing there that that uh, Captain America is passing it on to, to to the Falcon. But yeah, he basically goes. So he makes the decision that he's going to go to the past. He's going to you know get a life. So he meets this girl, and then is from that moment on. On, he's changed the timeline too because again we've seen in the events of Avengers over the years and Captain America that um, you know there has always been these allusions to the fact that um, Peggy Carter met a mystery man and married him and and she was happy with whoever it was but I don't think it was ever intended to be that clear that it was secretly Steve Rogers right right yeah because how would they keep that secret that was on my list of canonically dead and or non-existent so Agent Carter's kids were a big question mark in my mind yeah um, uh, for that reason. Um, and the vision is also. Yeah. So vision question. also clearly dead, although they make it clear in infinity war that the download of his information was to a significant place by the time that he was killed by Thanos. So, uh, absent the stone, the different personalities that made him up and the personality that he had could to a certain point be recreated. He has been stripped down in, in the comic book storylines. He has been stripped down to like next to nothing before and sort of rebuild the body, reintegrate the mind. There are some gaps, but he's still more or less himself. Um, I have a feeling when they do the, the one division series, which is what they're apparently going to, it's the stupidest name I've ever heard. They're apparently going to call the Disney plus vision and the Scarlet witch series. Apparently it's going to be called one division. So I have a feeling in that series, we're going to see some pattern of recognition of, of, of revival of, of this character coming back to life. But the actual, dead folks out of 
these two movies, it seems like the body count is essentially Iron Man, uh, Black Widow, Gamora, sorta, Vision, sorta, and beyond that, I might like and Cap, I guess, is sort of irredeemably not his not himself anymore. So we can decide whether that's a thing or not. But so going forward, no more Chris Evans, no more Robert Downey Jr., no more Scarlett Johansson. That's three of the original Avengers, uh, and no, um, and and really, those are the only three that are sort of not coming back from here. I think you know, Renner's already said he's going to do the Hawkeye Disney Plus series. Uh, we already know. Well, it's, it's looking like Hemsworth is going to come back for Guardians Three from the way they wrote the end of this show. Um, and and Ruffalo, I don't know. It's hard hard to say where they go forward with Smart Hulk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of a, kind of an uh, interesting homogenous character. I'm not sure how that works anymore. And, and they kind of didn't work in the movie. I mean, like, the, I don't mean from the point of view of uh, unsuccessful, but he wasn't. Even though he thought he was the one that could do this, he wasn't only he wasn't able to do it like the snap, right? Well, he he does the first snap, but it, it takes a toll. Like we see him yeah. in the aftermath with you know pretty severe sort of burns and scars, and his arms in a sling and yeah. Again, you'd assume that somebody with his sort of regenerative health issues that, you know, uh, he'll he'll be back to his normal self. Yeah, does he go uh, back to being a greeter at Walmart or something like that? Or what what, what happens? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Who knows? Who knows? What, well, the last two things I want uh, to point out is the one thing that I think could carve out time from the, from the film, and you'd be probably in a better spot. It drags a little bit when Tony Stark meets his father, Howard Stark. Yeah. I would have liked it to be a very quicker sort of like tip of the cap um and they go into it a little too long i think because they wanted to connect the dots you know between his relationship with his father and his relationship with his daughter but i think they went just like they needed to trim out minutes out of that conversation and i think it would be crisper more fulfilling sort of um overall package it doesn't really bring down the movie but it noticeably slows it down in my opinion so it's the jar jar banks of this movie or what no it just seemed like it was the it was the robert downey jr gets his screen time because it's his last kick at the can kind of you know it's it seemed like a, an opportunity to give him more screen time frankly in a movie okay. that's packed with famous people i think they, it was basically like how do we get an extra five minutes or eight minutes of of robert downey jr screen time right too yeah. and the other thing i thought was kind of interesting was the fact that um technically speaking you don't have to snap your fingers to use the gauntlet and the stones no um thanos just sort of made that sort of statement and fulfilled the gesture because that was like his thing to do but clearly all you have to do with the infinity gauntlet is you know just you know, close your your fist enough for it to activate the, whatever interface it, it happens to use uh no idea how that works with uh tony stark's uh iron man gauntlet sort of thing that the hulk and tony use and so i rectified this in my head by saying okay there was just so much um talk you know in the outside world and in the, in the normal media about the snap that thematically it, it helps sell the idea of like oh that's what they're trying to do they're trying to do the same thing that thanos did to kind of like a very literal sense of like oh they need to snap their fingers and do the things um and i think it works better for folks who maybe aren't as familiar with like precisely what you would need to do right it's like oh they just need to do the same thing the bad guy did snap your fingers while you're wearing the stones i just thought it was like a little bit weird that they they were um not just you know wishing <laughs> wishing upon the magic lamp and or you know just clenching their fist because that would have been completely sufficient yeah the wishing part is missing for me like like the whole how do you decide what the snap effects right like <laughs> yeah that's that's a little unclear because because uh hulk says at one point you know i tried to bring back natasha i tried to bring back the black widow uh but i couldn't so he was clear clearly thinking he was trying to sort of think clearly what that message was that you know okay i want everybody to come back but i want them to come back to now but i want them to be 
you know. So, okay, here's my biggest plot hole. I'm just going to, I'll do this quickly. So the moment that they realize that Hulk's snap worked is supposed to be a sweet moment. The movie opens with Hawkeye on a picnic with his family. His family vanishes and that precipitates him going off the deep end because he's he's clearly a family man. They established that in previous movies. Okay, fine. Right. The moment when they realize, you know, did it work when Hulk does the snap and he's like, oh my God, it hurt so much. And and they're like, did it work? Did it work? And then you see Hawkeye's phone ring on the countertop. Right. And he walks towards his phone and he looks down and it's a picture of his wife, played by Linda Cardellini. And he's like, oh my God, is it true? Is it true? And he picks up the phone and he answers the phone and he hears her voice. And he's like, oh my God, it's true. It's happened. And they realize that they did it and it's actually worked in his back. Okay, that's fine. However, it's been five years. Are we to presume that he paid her phone bill for five years? <laughs> I like where you're going with this, but I will counter it by saying they're probably on the T-Mobile family plan. And he was so distraught that he's like, I can't, I can't cancel these other lines. Want to keep her voicemail. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> he's and, like, I'll just keep paying the hundred bucks a month for the family plan. It's fine. I don't, I don't want to lose, you know, I'm grandfathered in. Tonight are are we also to presume plan. that she just like magically appeared? Like, where did people appear? Did they appear back exactly where they left off? Was her phone just sitting there on the ground in the middle of this field for five years? And, and then she picked it up? rotten now or what? Yeah, like, okay, so there's some holes. There's some holes is all I'm saying. Like that moment, I was like, at one part of me was like, oh, that's so, you know, it's a suite where they, again, call back to that first scene and how far Hawkeye has gone and, and to come back and, and have what he dreamed of of his family being back. It's a sweet moment. But my mind immediately went to like, okay, come on. Like, how is this guy supposed to have like, you know, not only like paid his phone bill, but we're presuming that he's like, you know, had the same phone with her number still programmed in. And all right, it was, it was a bridge too far for me. Yeah. And her face on the, the, the profile. Exactly. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, but we digress. It was a good movie. I enjoyed it. I would watch mm-hmm. it again and again, and I will when it uh, comes out on some other format where I don't have to right. pay 20 bucks and, and sit in a room full of strangers. Oh, I, didn't, and, I didn't watch it in 3D. I watched it in, in a glorious 2D. What do you think about the glorious 3D? I don't think 3D added a lot to it, um, but I do think IMAX added a lot to it. Oh, it okay. is obviously, it's a very epic movie. It's filmed really, really well. There are some very beautiful scenes. Um, again, that scene where Captain America is basically staring down the hordes of Thanos, um, writ large on a screen that size, was, was very, very impressive visually, um, as was a lot of that sort of the, the sort of conclusionary scene. Um, so that was certainly worth it. I, I can't can't say that the 3D was a particularly not that it really often ever is anymore. So you saw like, IMAX 3D, IMAX 3D. The the last movie that I saw where I really thought like, wow, 3D made this movie was Avatar. It, Gra- yeah, Gravity was pretty good too in it, IMAX. Yeah, I mean it's it's so seldom that 3D is a selling feature. You know, some of those cartoons that I watch my kids, the, the Disney Pixar's or the or the uh, Illumination ones that have been out over the years have done it well, um, and I have enjoyed those. Um, but often it's just, it's a thing. It's a thing because you're in the theater or it's, it is sort of the top tier of movies as the sort of IMAX 3D. But it, it didn't, for me, really, it was, there was no point where I was like, you know, oh, the hammer's coming towards the screen or, you know, like it was just a thing. It was just another thing. Well, back in the early days of 3D, like I remember seeing a comedy 3D once back in like the, I think it may have been the 70s, I think, right? They used to do things like they would wave a broom at your, in your face, right? Or yeah. you'd, they'd put you at the end of a mail shoot and they would shoot mail down 
down the mail chute at you kind of thing. That's what 3D was back in those days. And that's kind of, I was just thinking, I was just watched a bit of the the Grinwald, um, Crimes of Grinwald thing. And there's a scene where the, they go down this big chasm at the very beginning of the movie. And I thought, oh, that's totally just, you know, and 2D is like, why are we doing this? And yeah. You know, yeah, that that's kind of kind of interesting too. Yeah. Um, I was gonna say, oh, so I want to talk about my American music movie experience because I had, actually had to reach out to Jaime and say, okay, how do you buy a movie ticket? So I had to buy my very first Fandango TV or Fandango ticket was purchased. I opened a Fandango account years and years ago when the app came to the phone, but never had a reason to use it. And um, is that Fandango? Am I saying it correct? <laughs> the other thing is, is the theater I went to was called Regency Theater. I don't know if it's a thing in a friend franchise in the states Jaime, or not maybe there's uh regal and amc um i could see that regency might have alternative names in other sure. places but i'm not sure and it also was very similar to what we have we have a thing called vip where you have these these um love seats or armchairs where you can sit you know with a significant other and and have the comfy you know and have the little tray table beside you it was like that um except each individual person had like almost like an airplane seat whereas it was a it was a comfy seat like you know leatherette kind of thing it even had like a, a footrest that came up, and so you, you didn't just push back on the seat to recline. It actually the the footrest came up, so it was great position to nap in. I can tell you that much. <laughs> and uh, as Jonathan knows, that's my, my my tendency when they get really exciting movies. Um, but yeah, it was it was it was interesting. And the, the screen wasn't huge, but but because of the comfy seat and and the small venue, you know, I was surprised at how many. Like when I look at it, you know, when you go to select your seat and you only see like you know thirty seats, you're like, what size is this theater, you know, there used to be a theater downtown at the Eaton Center, which was pretty much like watching television, you know, like, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, it's pretty small, but yeah, that was my, my movie experience. So mm. yeah, let's wrap that up and let's move on to, we've got uh, 10 minutes or so to cover uh, the long night, which, you know, so here, here's my, here's my two things. I watched two episodes of Game of Thrones. I watched episode two and episode three on my iPhone, right? Which meant that I had to, I had to battle with glare, you know, cause if I was watching during the day, I, I, I you know, got the sun in my face and I couldn't see and I thought it was just me that was not able to see anything going on in episode 3 but apparently it was pretty common for people like somebody posted a picture a black picture on on Facebook and said this was how the directors intended it to be seen yeah so so the there was a lot of pushback there was a lot of people griping about the fact that you know even though the title of the episode is the long night the villain in the show is called the night king right, people right. still were like but it was dark like of <laughs> Of course, it's freaking dark. The idea was that it was a moonlit night, and then the Night King calls in the clouds and the storm and the snow comes, so the moon goes away. So that's how it was intended to be. It was it was supposed to be disorienting. It was supposed to be dark and hard to follow. Again, I get people's complaints. It's legit. I get that people were confused, but I think that was the artistic vision. Whether or not it was executed well or whether or not it, it resonated, I think clearly you could say it didn't. I thought it was very effective. Um, I watched the the behind the scenes making of stuff that they put out all this week, um, which I thought was really enlightening, um, where they talked about, you know, how they divided the show, uh, this episode into three genres. So the first part was a suspense movie. The second part was a horror movie. And the third part was an action movie um, to change the narrative tones so that it wouldn't just be an unrelenting, uh, you know, uh, saving private Ryan battle scene. It was, was, yeah, it was meant to be, uh, you know, sort of changing the pace changing the tone, changing the lighting. They talked with the, per- the person who did the lighting and they were talking about how they used, you know, the first part is supposed to be um, light because it's moon during some of that suspense stuff and then it gets really dark and it's 
supposed to be dark and then they light the the pit and it's supposed to become orange and glowing and then as the the dead start coming over the walls and you're inside there's the blue flames from the dragon and the the snow and then it changes the color again um i think it was really effective i i thought it was a really interesting artistic choice but i apparently am in a vast minority because people were quite livid about this darkness and beyond that, um, I've got a, a, a URL in our show notes here. So apparently there were some real issues here in Canada with people who were streaming it because uh, apparently the high volume of people who were using the streaming service uh, impacted the bandwidth issues. And therefore, people were getting a lot of artifacting and making it even more challenging to watch it. Um, and at one point, it was actually just like hard on crashing people out um, so they couldn't actually watch uh, because there was such a demand to watch this movie in real or movie this it was a movie well, to watch this episode in real time um so yeah the 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 person who wrote this for mobilesyrup.com has a nice little piece where he was experiencing these issues and he was tweeting in real time and he's got his tweets other people's tweets and then uh got comment from rogers or sorry bell who were saying you know yes you know we understand that there were some issues we understand that this was this they didn't say whether or not they were going to correct these issues because clearly this is not the last time this is going to happen the demand for game of thrones is going to continue the next three episodes but uh yeah apparently not only was it dark but it was a problem as far as the streaming services go here too so you know cut your cable if you want to but this 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 is still not a perfect solution either the streaming world right so so given the resolution of this show and now they're going to move on to the night queen right but but were you expecting this to this episode to resolve the main conflict of the of what seemed to be the season what do you think i did not i thought oh um the fact that uh uh, Theon's sister Yara. Yep. Yara. Yep. Uh, since she'd mentioned, oh, we'll we'll be waiting back on the the Iron Islands. I thought, oh, okay, so they're going to get pummeled here, and then somehow, you know, enough of the main people uh, are going to escape over there, and they can regroup and think about, all right, how are we going to deal with this? Given that the dead can't follow us here, right? Because the ocean's yeah. too too um, too deep for them to just you know climb up each other ant hill style like <laughs> yeah, they did to the walls. Before zombies Winterfell. can float, I have this huge argument with Tammy all the time. <laughs> Yeah, but like not enough of them, right? Like <laughs> the, the ones that are decayed enough, it's like, all right, whatever, those ones just sink to the bottom. That's okay. We'll, we'll pick off the floaters. They seem to have this whole World War Z kind of approach to climbing walls too, right? Yeah, like, yeah. They just yeah. scramble over each other. Yeah, yeah. Or, or I, like the, I like the way that they, they, you know, when the firewall was set up and they thought, oh, we'll put this firewall up. That'll solve the problem. They'll just stand there and, and stare at the fire. And then the Night King kind of, you know, does does the Jedi mind trick with his hand and, and they start sacrificing themselves into the fire, right? And so yep. the, the rest can crawl over, right? That was I thought that was a really cool strategy. Yeah, I think I think from the point of view of like how the how this this the, the battles go on, the, the little conflicts and skirmishes go on. I mean, it looked like they were getting their asses kicked pretty heavily, right? So absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. no. But it, 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 I think quickly it was sh- the way that it was playing out. Uh, like I'm I'm in the exact same boat as Jaime. I think I had sort of thought, well, this was going to be a humongous battle, but it wouldn't be the final battle. This would be a humongous battle uh, where you know it was going to cost the life of some of our A-list cast um, and then we were going to regroup and have another final final battle later on. Right. So right. as this episode played out where, you know, the, the sort of opening beat where, you know, the Dothraki uh, the Red Woman shows up and the Dothraki are there and they have their Aurochs lit on fire and they charge into battle. Okay, first of all, tactic number one, never put the cavalry in front. Just putting that out there. But <laughs> they put the cavalry in the front and they charge towards the horse uh, without even seeing them, they just 
just charge through there. Maybe not the best strategy. Um, and you see that for moment Thor. where they're all going through there, uh, and you know, all of a sudden you see the Arax all come unlit, and then like five guys come back and are like, "That didn't go well." Um, you. That's when you sort of had this moment of like, "Oh, this is going to go bad." And as the episode goes on, and as they say, it starts out as this sort of suspense, like what's going to happen, what's going to happen, what's going to happen, and then the battle really sort of picks up, and then it cuts to the scene where Arya is inside, and Arya, uh, you know, is overwhelmed. And this is somebody who we've right, seen right. be nothing but a badass, composed, brave, uh, you know, such an amazing character for the last couple of years, really in control, really, uh, this is the first time in like three seasons that we've seen her like, uh-oh, Arya's panicking, and if Arya's panicking, this is gone really off the rails and we have the whole scene in the library where she's like running and trying to hide from them and stuff like that and then we cut from that to uh you know uh you know we start losing we've lost some characters so we see ed dies out on the field saving sam we see uh liana mormont little liana mormont that the the lady of bear island uh gets smucked by a, a giant ends up taking this giant out and, and as she goes but th- we see her die and that's pretty you know you're again you're like wow that's that's something and and then we see Barrack. Barrack takes, you know, one stab too many and Barrack dies. So we're like, okay, so far we're only looking at like tier two characters, but you're like, okay, they're, they're killing some people off. And then you just see the waves are coming, the waves are coming and it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And you still haven't seen any major deaths, but things are starting to look worse and worse and worse. And then the dragons fight and, and there's fights inside the walls. And then it, the fighting goes over the walls and it's inside the castle. And you see uh, Brienne and Jamie and Pod backed up against the walls and they're not looking good and and danny and um um no no danny and uh the um jorah mormont jorah absolutely yes jorah are out there and it's looking bad for them and the dragons are getting attacked and john is getting you know like looking like he's gonna get you know whacked at one point and you're really like oh this is this is this is really bad and the fact that they wiped out like all the dothraki and a lot of the unsullied and a lot of the other forces and you're like the math here is not looking like we're gonna we're gonna regroup and take this again it looks like this is gonna have to play out and the fact that they played it right to the end of you know again it's it's looking bad it's looking bad everybody's in a bad place it's all coming down to it and then we get this like amazing for the win moment where you see Arya come that that beautiful scene such a a well shot moment where the one of the uh, white walkers is standing there and you just see his hair fly forward and then they cut to the the night king reaches up and he's going to pull out his sword and he's going to kill Bran after he's just killed Theon and then they show what that that wind that went past the White Walker was actually Arya in her ninja mode slipping past the White Walker and flies out of nowhere like Michael Jordan in 1986 <laughs> and drops the you know the knife and he you see the the Night King turn around he grabs her by the throat and the wrist and you're like oh that's not good and then she drops does that great drop and stab to the gut and then poof and then just like dominoes it all starts playing out and you, and you get to that moment and you're like okay first your reaction is like yeah Arya what a badass what an amazing moment mm-hmm. but then you're also like huh that was it like yeah yeah that's what I mean like oh that was sweet. that was easy huh but and the whole since since the 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 first scene of Game of Thrones the TV series mm-hmm. is that scene with the guy running from the White Walkers and the body parts and everything like that from then till now they've been the existential s- 
sort of thing that's going on here. And to have it sort of all wrap up in a neat bow in that one episode was really surprising. Really surprising. Not unsatisfying. Not poorly done. It was amazingly well done. Yeah, beautifully yeah. filmed. Again, I love that sort of three-act structure where they had the different types of things. I love that we got time with a bunch of different characters. Um, we obviously, we did lose. We lost Jorah as well. We lost, you know, some, you know, Theon and, and Jorah are arguably A-list cast members. They've both been there since episode one. They're they're major characters in their way. But we didn't lose John or Danny or Arya or Sansa. We didn't mm-hmm. lose, you know, uh, you know the the top tier of those characters. We didn't even lose Sam. Right. Um, you know, Jamie, Brienne. I mean, they telegraphed. And I love, I, I will say, I love that about this show. This whole show has always been about subverting expectations. They set up Brienne to die so well. They set up Jamie to die. They set up Grey Worm to die. They set up Missandei to die. All these people were like on the hit list. None of them died. Yeah, yeah. But also what I what I liked about it too in terms of the resolution was that um, you know it goes back to the very first scene of like when when um, Ned Stark is watching Arya in in trying to be try to do the boy things right. Yep. Yep. Or traditionally boy things and and her training as you know the the the, the man with no face right or what do they call him faceless man yeah faceless man you know a girl has a girl has no face and all that sort of training the training with the stick with the the yep. the evil girl in in the the training that she goes through and i mean i i've got a clip here from from twitter um of a guy who says he can't stop watching the scene and it's the scene of aria training to do the scene that she does with brianne where they're yeah, they're, yeah. they're sparring yep and brianne gets the upper hand on aria but aria well, well here's the thing Maisie williams apparently is right-handed but yep. the character is left-handed so she learned yep. to sword fight with her left hand yeah and so 12. the whole thing at 12 the, years old she did that well the whole thing though is that that you know she she the, the way she kills the the night king is exactly the same way that she's when she's sparring with brianne yeah. she gets the upper hand or lower hand on brianne because brianne's focusing on her left hand and she drops a knife for her right hand and there's a scene of her and the two actresses practicing this yeah i've right? seen it yeah it's great it's and great. then there's a scene of her you know and there's i think that i can't remember if there was actually it, it was it was in i don't know if it was in this season or it was it was very recent like maybe the end of season six or sorry season seven where brianne and, and area are, are yeah, it was la- yeah it was last season yeah, and and she does the knife drop. So the whole knife drop thing, like the whole giving giving the what did she called her sword sting, the fact that she says needle, to, needle. It's the fact that she says to Sansa, stick him with the pointy end, which is what yep. she was told back in the day, right? Yeah, yeah. This whole training, she's like the she's like the Luke Skywalker of this whole franchise, without being obvious, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. the fact that she's the one that jumps in and and solves this this conundrum at the very last second, like you said, the kick ass, everybody. You can always count on her to be the the one to come through. It's in mm-hmm. in her part of the storylines, right? Mm-hmm. The fact that yeah, it was out of the blue. I mean, like you know, well, it wasn't. It wasn't. So I mean, I'm, I'm going to from the point I'm of gonna, view, like I'm going to throw it out to you guys. So the scene where Barrack dies, they're inside. So Arya's escaped the library. The Hound and Barrack come in to help her out. Uh, Barrack does the that's very one eyed guy. That's the one eyed guy. Okay. Does the very Christ like pose to block the hallway. They keep stabbing him over and over again. The Hound and Arya get ahead. They get into 
into the the main hall. Uh, Barrack comes in. Barrack hits the floor and he dies. The the red woman, the uh, the Melisandre, the red yeah, woman is yeah. standing there, and she basically says, you know, oh, I've met you before. And Arya says, you know, yeah, you told me that I'd you know shut all kinds of eyes. And Melisandre says, yes, I told you you would shut green eyes and brown eyes and blue eyes. In that moment, did you guys immediately go, oh, she's going to kill the the Night King? No, no, I didn't. No, the, not, not that she would personally, but I thought she was going to be involved. Yeah, I immediately knew she was. Oh, because she paused when she said blue eyes, right? Yes. Yeah, as soon as she as soon as she did that callback to that line, which I remember from it was in the episode, uh, in like season three, four. So she told her she's going to kill. She's going to shut blue eyes back in the day. Like yes, yes, that really? was that was her little when she met uh, Arya. She sized Arya up, and then she said, "You know, I see darkness in you. I see the faces of men that you will kill. Um, I see brown. Uh, see, I see the faces of men that you will kill looking back at me when I look at you. I can see uh, eyes that you will shut forever. I see brown eyes. I see green eyes. I see blue eyes. And so right. when she made that connection to that moment in that moment, and so she says that, and then Arya like, basically is like, gotcha. And she walks at the door. Right. And I'm like, there's no way she's not going to go kill the king now. There's no way that that's oh, not right. going to pay off. I didn't know how. I had no clue how that was going to play out, but I knew it was going to be her when she said that. That was such a great callback. So I don't uh, remember the season three scene. How did how did the red woman and Arya meet up? Like, where were they in the journeys? So Melisandre, uh, if you'll recall, so she was working with Stannis Baratheon yeah, at that point. Yeah, yeah. Um, she was basically gathering people with royal blood uh, for different purposes for oh, her black right. magic. Yeah. So she had um, she had created that like weird monster ghost shadow thing that had killed uh, Renly, and so she was looking for um, Gendry, who was Robert's bastard, Robert King Robert's bastard son. So she uh, showed up at the the Brotherhood, which was where Beric and Thoris of Mir and uh, and those ones were. Oh, they, she talked about the resurrection and all that kind of stuff. Yes, right? so Thor, she and Thoros both worship the Lord of Light, and so they talk about that, and then they basically uh, they turn Gendry over to her because she needs him. Right. So she, right. So she takes him back to Dragonstone, puts the leeches on him, and then that way she can use his blood to predict the future and stuff like that. So she went to go retrieve Gendry. So the reason that she was on Arya's kill list for so long was because she basically took Gendry away from her. Right, uh, right. Okay. She kidnapped Gendry. So when she had her list of people who she was going to kill, the Red Woman was on the list because uh, of what she, she basically took Gendry. She also had uh, Beric and Thoros of Mir on there for that same reason, that they let it happen. Right, um, right. So it was in that scene where basically, you know, she was at that point, she was still the, a small child and she was chattel, right? She, so different people were sort of fighting over who had possession of her because she was an asset, because there was this war going on and she was this sort of prize piece. So the Hound was fighting for her. Brienne was looking for her. Um, Catelyn, I think, was still alive at that point, was looking for her. Um, and so she was this sort of pawn in this Game of Thrones. And uh, that was before she sort of went to Bravos and did her own thing, right? Sure, sure. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, so yeah, let's. We're way over time. So um, final thoughts, and can we skip Orville? We'll, we'll do Orville next week. Next yeah. week we won't have Avengers. We'll we'll get into the final two. So so come back next week, kids. Uh, I want to talk about the yeah, final I have two to, episodes. I still have to watch the last episode of Orville. You watched so last week. You watched last one. We'll we'll mm-hmm. reconnect next week. I I I have some thoughts. I have some thoughts on where Orville finished up and where it's going to go next. And uh, and I'm curious to what you guys think too. So I just want to talk really briefly. One last thought about. about about this whole thing, and I've got a link here in my in my tweet from a tweet that I did. 
I was in the states. I was at at Target, and I saw what do they call those bobblehead guys? The the pops, pops, pops. yeah, pop vinyls. So there, so I saw a pop, and this may not be new, but to me, it kind of connected the dots that it's a, it's Jon Snow sitting on the Iron Throne, and I'm calling it a major spoiler for the whole series. Yeah, <laughs> conceivable, but I'm not familiar with the Game of Thrones line for the pop, the Funko Pop model. So I'm guessing they might also have that same background for all the characters in that series. Mm, to, be, to be fair, if it said Aegon Targaryen sitting on the throne and it looked right. like that, <laughs> that might be more of a dead giveaway. Right, because there was another pop of, of Danny and John, and, and he didn't look the same. So I don't know, I guess they have artistic license on what these, these guys look like. Well, if yeah. that's if if that turns out to be the spoiler, then you are truly our 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 uh, master king of, own domain, king yes. of kings here, because that is a hell of a pull. Yeah, I'm just putting it out there, putting it out there. Anyway, let's let's jump into the watch list real quick because we got to wrap up. So, okay, I got two quick ones. Uh, so, I Zombie, one of my favorite shows, uh, is coming back for its fifth and final season tonight. Uh, it's on the CW in the states, uh, and here in Canada, it airs on Netflix. So we won't get it for another two or three days. Probably I don't know what the the premiere date is, but uh, typically they do about three three days after the release in uh, the states. Um, I love the show; it's great. Rob Thomas, uh, of course, uh, also creator of. Um Veronica Mars, which is coming back this year, uh, has done a great job. The cast is wonderful. Um, and he's promised that this season is going to be about resolution. He's planning on tying all the different threads up in, in a nice, neat bow uh, over the course of the last, I think there's 14 episodes or something like that for the season. So I'm excited and uh, curious to see how they wrap all this up. It's gotten pretty big in scope and uh, it's such a great show. Great sense of humor, lots of fun twists and uh, looking forward to that. Um, the other thing that I have is uh, just a, a callback to something we had before. So Tim, you went to go see The Man Who Killed Don Quixote, uh, the latest Terry Gilliam film. I just happened to notice as I was looking through uh, an online site the other day that it's now listed for sale for uh, Blu-ray for June 4th. Cool. So uh, I'm, I'm hoping that you'll purchase it and then I can watch it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, and for those of you out there transporting at home, Terry Gilliam can be an acquired taste. So I'm not saying run out and buy this because I'm sure a lot of people will, will pan it. Anyway, because that's just the way his movies are. Yeah. They, they, they require multiple sittings. Yeah. yeah. All right, honey. I have two quick ones. One is uh, thematically on point. So the Oreo cookie Twitter account, the official one, has released a video of uh, of their Oreo cookie version of the intro to Game of Thrones using the uh, you know the same little like map unfolding sort of stuff, uh, model building piece. I thought that came to mind because Tim, you tweeted something. I think you purchased some of these. I did. I was cookies, in Target right? and I the purchased the a box. I brought them home. Yep. Yeah. 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 I, I hadn't seen that, so thanks, Jaime, for flagging that because uh, when it, when you when I saw you put that link in there i thought oh is it just like a new another different package or whatever and then i saw the animatic and it's it's awesome it's really really cool it's very very well done mm-hmm. yeah and i guess the actual cookies themselves have the the sigils of the they, various they houses four houses four houses apparently there's nine houses we're vying for this throne well originally there was a lot more houses now really we're down to a couple of houses there's there's the wolf for the starks there's the dragon for the targaryens and then there's the lannister lion um right. that, that's all that's because the ones that that are still alive because the the um the baratheons baratheons are toast well, what about so. what are gendry well he's a bastard so he doesn't have a fair claim to the throne right well then neither did john as king of the north he didn't as the king of the north but he does as aegon targaryen true 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 yeah that's that conflict to go with though too all right yeah anyway, what's your other 
uh, the other uh, thing here, Hame? Yeah, there's still a lot of confusion about what exactly happened with the timey-wimey stuff in Season 2 of Star Trek Discovery. But Nitpicking Nerd on YouTube, who is wearing a uh, delightful uh, Zoidberg from Futurama-looking <laughs> face mask, in about 10 minutes and on a very cheap whiteboard, and I'm pretty sure I have the same exact whiteboard, I think these are dollar store Daiso ones, um, shows a timeline of all of the different jumps and everything that occurs over the time. So if you're still very confused, I'd say watch this video. I think it does a pretty decent job of showing and laying out all the different things that happen. Cool. All right. Well, that's going to have to wrap up another episode of uh, SpotCast. So, uh, Jaime, if people want to get in touch with you in the future, where would they find you? I'm on Twitter as at Dev with the Hair. And Jonathan, if people want to get in touch with you? Uh, I'm on Twitter and Instagram as at JPK News. Alrighty. And my name is Timitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A on the Twitter machine as well. You'll find me. So, until next time, we'll see you in the future. Bye. 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 That concludes another episode of SpotCast, streamed to you via subspace signal. I'm friend of the show, Greg Keo, joining you from Sector 001. If you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the SpotCast website at spotcast.com. You can get in touch with your Star Trek nerd hosts on the website or follow them on Twitter. They're at SpotCast. If you have feedback or questions, send them a tweet with the hashtag AskSpotCast. If you like the show, please consider recommending it to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount of gold press latinum at patreon.com slash spotcast. You can find details on how to help them out on the website, spotcast.com slash sponsor us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the future. Wishing you peace and long life. Okay, okay, wait, I got one more quick thing. One more. All right. I, I've been thinking about Jaime's friends and family plan from T-Mobile here. Yeah. Are we to assume that while he was a rogue ninja killing bad guys in Mexico and in, uh, and yeah, in Japan, that he was paying his phone bill? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they don't show him having, like, hacker skills to, like, leech off of, you know, hacking into other people's accounts or something. So wouldn't they, maybe. Wouldn't they be able to find my phone to find out where he is and stuff? Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe, he just just leaves it, maybe he just leaves it there on the farm, you know? Yeah. That's true. That's true. In the rain. This one's going to bug me for a while. I'd like to thank you for throwing that wrinkle at me, Jaime, because now I'm going to be thinking about that in this factor as well. Mm-hmm. I think we need to take it to the internet. and you, you need to start asking people online, like, explain this part to me. Yeah. <laughs> Does the team family plan yeah can somebody please clarify the uh the lifespan of a friends and family plan for uh for yeah like like so the other so this afternoon my you know we we one of our one of our iphones didn't survive the the holiday and uh so i was trying to resurrect one of my old sims and i found out that that when you're when you're when you move from one sim to another they disable the sims so again there's another plot hole there right like would does the t-mobile family plan keep the sims alive this and more on next week's episode of spotcast (laughs) He's still paying, and people are upgrading. You know, Apple's having. We'll talk about business results in uh, in the next show on MTJC. But Apple's having difficulty with people not upgrading. So yeah, if he's still sticking around with an iPhone six, why not? Well, I recommend salt water for Apple's upgrade plan. That seems to work really well. (laughs) (laughs) All right, talk to you later. Always a pleasure, guys. Later. Bye. See ya. Bye. 
Save big money now on new siding from LP Smart Side at Menards. Update and beautify your home with your choice of 13 timeless colors of pre-finished engineered siding. It's durable and includes a Sherwin-Williams factory finish paint warranty that means no painting for years to come. View our entire selection of siding from LP Smart Side today. And don't forget to check out our flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big